Today we begin a new sermon series called From the Heavens to the Depths, Encountering the God Who Meets Us Where We Are. We'll be exploring some powerful stories from scripture in conversation with themes from the book called Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown. In her book, Brene Brown describes emotions as places that we go to on a figurative atlas of our hearts, especially in response to various circumstances. So any of the quotes that we'll hear from her book today comes from the chapter titled, Places We Go When We're Hurting. While Brene Brown approaches these emotions from a secular perspective, in this series we'll be exploring how God meets us in those places that we go to in response to joy or sorrow and everything in between. So we begin with the story of the raising of Lazarus. Lazarus was the brother of the famous bickering sisters, Mary and Martha the same Mary who anointed Jesus' feet. Lazarus was also described as the one whom Jesus loved. And we'll see in our text for today, Mary and Martha both approached Jesus with a family-like intimacy. Directly before our passage begins, Jesus had escaped arrest by seeking refuge by the Jordan, near where John the Baptist had baptized people earlier. People brought news to Jesus that Lazarus was ill, and Jesus deliberately delayed going to the town of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, because, in his words, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Our passage today begins when Jesus arrived in Bethany, the hometown of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. Our reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 17 through 44. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews who had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? 
Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. God of great compassion, we ask that you meet us here. Speak to us what we need to trust and believe. In and through this, your holy word, shape us into the people you had in mind at creation. Amen. I want to start out with what feels like the elephant in the room in this story. This comes up a lot in our adult Bible study here at Old Pine when we're exploring scriptures that talk about God's will and its relationship to the acts of fallen humans. So this elephant in the room is what kind of savior, what kind of God just allows awful things to happen to people? More specifically to this story, why did Jesus purposely delay when he could have healed Lazarus and so many people would have been spared grief and pain? Jesus' words that whatever might happen with Lazarus would display God's glory, they just don't seem that comforting to those who are grieving and those of us who might be grieving today. So I want to unpack the context a little bit as we kind of get at that question and examine how Martha and Mary related to Jesus and how that teaches us about this question, gives us an answer. The fact that Martha came out to greet and question Jesus is interesting to me. When we were introduced to Martha and Mary previously, it was in a story where Mary is praised for sitting at Jesus' feet to learn from him, and Martha seems to be scolded for worrying about meal preparations. In today's story, it seems as if that encounter had an impact on Martha. She went to see Jesus, and they had this emotional, theological conversation. She said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. And then just a few verses later, Mary echoed the same initial phrase as she knelt at his feet. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you had been here... I would have been spared this devastating grief. Lazarus would have been spared suffering and death if you had just been here. Where were you? How many times have we thought something similar? God, if you would just do something, this would be so much easier. You are powerful. I try to trust in you, and it just feels like you don't care. You're not paying attention. Then Martha said, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. There is this anger and this faith right there together. But even now, even now, Lord, can't you fix it? Can't you do something? 
He responded by saying, your brother will rise again. Not very specific on the when there, just the eventuality of it. And that feels pretty familiar too. So often in life and in scripture, we're assured that our hard times won't last forever, but seldom do we get a sense of when things start to get better. When Martha responded, it's almost as if she thought he was skirting around the question. She said, I know, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Her implication was, but what about right now? (laughs) Can't you do something now? So Jesus responded and said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she responded, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. But her implied question is still unanswered. She believed in this kind of macro-level mission of Jesus, but what about the here and the now? Martha wanted to avoid her grief. She wanted to avoid sadness, which makes sense. No one loves feeling the depth of our losses that we've experienced. No one relishes feeling sad. So of course she looked to Jesus, who had healed so many, to lift that burden. And now when Mary said the same thing, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But she didn't end with a hint or maybe even some passive aggression about what Jesus should do in that moment. She just let those words hang there. And it feels like there's more anger behind them. Lord, if you had been here. And she's described as weeping as she said them. We're placing this story in scripture today in conversation with that chapter I mentioned called Places We Go When We're Hurting and specifically the emotion of sadness. Brene Brown writes, to be human is to know sadness. Owning our sadness is a courageous and necessary step in finding our way back to ourselves and to each other. Grief can be entirely disorienting. We can feel lost and untethered as all of our routines and our relationships are upended. Owning our sadness, naming our sadness, is the way to become grounded, to be reoriented to life as it is now. When Martha and Mary said these words to Jesus, they were being vulnerable. They were naming their disappointment, their anger, their grief, their sorrow. And even though Martha wanted to avoid it, to escape it, the naming of it served as this point of connection between her and Jesus. Because Jesus responded to all of them in this way. When he saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. These words of disturbed and moved have connotations in the Greek of kind of like a gut-level distress, and also a sense of indignation and anger. Then Jesus asked, where have you laid him? And the crowd said, come and see an invitation that Jesus himself had issued so many times. And then Jesus wept. There's so much wrapped up into this weeping. One commentary writes, Jesus weeps also because of the destructive power of death that is still at work in the world. Once again, one sees the intersection of the intimate and the cosmic, the pain of this family, reminds Jesus of the pain of the world. 
So it's not just about his relationship with them, it is about his relationship with creation, with all people. And in the face of his weeping, some said, see how he loved him, but others voiced their own doubt and disappointment. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? This thread, this question of like, why wouldn't God do something is, is all through this story. And it resonates with us today, because here's the thing. We want a savior who fixes it all in the here and now. We want a magic wand. We want the suffering to be over, which is valid. A world that suffers is a world that is not as it should be. It's a world that's far from the one God designed and dreamt of at creation. But instead of a savior who works like a magician, we get a God who weeps. Instead of instant fixes, we encounter a God who weeps with us and for us. Let's revisit that quote from Atlas of the Heart. To be human is to know sadness. Owning our sadness is courageous and a necessary step in finding our way back to ourselves and each other. Instead of a savior who wields a magic wand, we've been given a God who became human. A savior whose divinity and humanity coexisted. And even though in this story, Jesus seemed to know that he would be able to resurrect Lazarus, that didn't stop him from weeping. That didn't stop him from owning and naming his sadness. To be human is to know sadness. And God became fully human. God and Jesus Christ knew, understood, felt sadness in new and different ways. And more than just feeling it, God did that for a purpose. God saw a world full of suffering and isolation. God saw a world of brokenness and grief and couldn't stand it. God knew that the only way out would be through. And God knew that the key to sadness functioning in this way, where it brings people together and makes it more bearable when we share that burden, God knew that the key to that would be naming, owning, and feeling it deep in God's very own self. Whatever sorrow you are carrying with you today, Jesus weeps with you. God sees all that is hard in your life and can't stand it. God felt compelled to be with you, to walk with you, to carry the burdens with you, to weep with you when you're weeping and rejoice with you when you're overjoyed. And even though most times we'd rather just escape it, Jesus shows us that we can't, and more so when we don't try to escape it. When we name it and own it, powerful things begin to happen. And in the case of this story, the result of this was the resurrection of Lazarus. Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. He told them to take away the stone, and then he prayed to God. He said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now, for those of us who have lost loved ones, it may be hard to reconcile this story with our own lived experience. I've talked about this before in the pulpit, but many of you know that my father died a few days after I turned 10. And for years after that, Easter, 
and this story were really challenging for my little kid brain. Yes, they were amazing, like super cool that Jesus came back, uh, but none of these made my dad come back. That's who I wanted. That's who I knew. For those of us who have lost loved ones, we may think, well, this is nice for them, but my loved one can't be resurrected, so now what? And I don't have a tidy answer for that one. It's a tension. It's a tension in which we live as we await Jesus' second coming and the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus weeps with us, but is also always bringing something new to life, even if it's not the beloved person who had died. Jesus is always calling us out of death into life. Jesus is always calling us by name. Jesus is always unbinding what needs to be freed. One of my favorite scholars on the Gospel of John is Caroline Lewis, and she writes about this story, what does grace upon grace sound like? It sounds like when you are deader than dead, and you hear your name being called by the shepherd who knows you and loves you, and you are then able to walk out of that tomb unbound to rest at the bosom of Jesus. Naming our sadness like Martha and Mary and naming our desire to escape it, that process is itself transformative. It opens up a space within us where we can sense Jesus weeping with us. I think sometimes we avoid this because we've been taught to pray in a certain way, that prayers of gratitude or praise are better or more holy than prayers where we express our disappointment, our anger, or our grief. But this story shows us how untrue that is. Jesus didn't judge Mary and Martha. He didn't scold them. He was filled with compassion for them. He described this nuance between an eventual resurrection and what could and would happen then and there. He wept, and then he brought new life in the face of death. So this week, I wonder if we can let our prayers be whatever they are without judging them. I wonder if we can try praying to God our own sadness, our own anger, our own disappointment. And I wonder what we might experience on the other side of that prayer. I want to leave you with one more quote that has stuck with me all week in regards to this story. And it's my prayer that it abides with you in the same way. Debbie Thomas wrote about this story and said, Our journey is not to the cross, to the grave, excuse me, but through it. Our journey is not to the grave, but through it. The Lord who weeps is the Lord who resurrects. We mourn in hope. Our journey is not to the grave, but through it. May it be so. Amen.